Welcome back, everyone, to the 104 Podcast, uh, a conversation about the Oilers and how it could be better, I guess. <laughs> a, um, better conversation a better conversation about the Oilers. About the Oilers. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Herman Vijegas. On the other side is a man that I would always give a no-movement clause, <laughs> Elliot Tanti. Oh, wow. Is that better? That's, that's amazing. That, that, that Seven-year deal. Touch my heart. <laughs> seven by seven? Seven by seven. And, no, and, and I'm 29, so you're not even getting it. me at the prime. <laughs> it's a very Lucci's deal. That was exactly a Lucci's deal. That's how much I adore you. Lucci's deal for you. How you been, my friend? Great week. A little sick of these one-game weeks, though. Looking forward to, although we'll see by the end of March if I'm still interested in, like, <laughs> oh, man, four games this week, so we're going to run through this thing. But yeah, basing our entire episode on one game is really tough. It is. It's tough. And it's tough the, lots of pressure around seeing that one game, too. Mm-hmm. It is. It's it's really and, and trying to make judgments on one game is really tough. Yeah, I, I'm over it. Honestly, like I'm glad that it's we're gonna get back to like three and four game weeks. And I think we're gonna that's gonna happen until pretty much the end of the season. Yeah, basically, so, this is good. And uh, it's funny because uh, we were very excited for a matchup that never really happened. <laughs> <laughs> basically, yeah. So um, thanks to everybody for for tuning in. Uh, let's go to the roundup. So collectively, between the two of us, we watched three periods of this game. You went second and third. I was like third and kind of overtime. Um, so I think, obviously, the Oilers lose in overtime. Another blow to the playoff hopefuls like me. Uh, another confirmation of Oilers aren't making the playoffs like mm-hmm. for people like you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm so sick of the Oilers falling down. 2 nothing, or having a terrible first period and then also getting scored on in like the last minute of a period like this be, this is just a trend I don't know it, it, I mean I think it was huge of the team to come back and there's there lots of good to come out of that game a 3-1 going into the third and make a 3-3 get into the overtime get the point um, is what we used to say but there seem, there seem to be these recurring things that are happening with the team terrible starts falling behind late period goals it's definitely a trend. It's definitely a trend, and it, you you saw this even. And I think there, this team is a little bit better than the the trash that we saw in like the middle of the decade of darkness, where we had like just terrible teams. Um, this team is definitely better than that. But that was a trend in that in that time too, where they would they would always give up the first two goals, and they would try to climb back. Or well, I guess back then they weren't good enough to be able to climb back. Now exactly. they're good enough to climb back. Right? Exactly. And they have a really good player to do that um, who stepped up his game today again. <laughs> but at the same time, like it's, it's interesting to see that same pattern being repeated. And you're right. Like the last period goals, it's a, again, it's a trend that happened in Vegas and happened in Arizona, happened here. The entire season. It's part of the reason why they were struggling to win games. They go in, you know, being down 2-1 going into the third versus 3-1, it's a much different game to come back from. 1-1 versus 2-1, you know, it's a tie game going into the third versus being behind. It's something that we've seen a lot. And their special team, again, kind of killed them. Oh, yes. I usually just black out the, the special teams parts of the game. So just like I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's 17 minutes into the second period. What, must have been a power play or a penalty kill for the Oilers. Oh, the Oilers are down a goal. Must have tried to kill a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. Like I think um, 
Talking about uh, who's the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs now? Uh, Babcock. Yeah, Babcock. <laughs> Babcock. Babcock. Um, so uh, Babcock has this um, great stat. Um, so uh, he takes um, the. Uh, okay, I'll get. I'll, I'll drop that. <laughs> He takes the. That was the, good. That um, was good. So I uh, take the. Um, anyway, no comment. Next question. Um, <laughs> he takes the the percentage of the penalty kill and adds it to the the percentage of the success rate on the power play, and you hope it to be over a hundred percent. And the best teams have like a hundred and five percent. Fancy stats. Oiler, yeah, um, it's uh, not fancy stats. I just uh, it's simple addition. I know um, it's simple. Subtraction. There's nothing fancy about the teams that I coach, Sherman. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> play a hard nose game. <laughs> no fancy stance, just basic addition. Just go to challenge. Go to keep challenging. Up and forth, up and great down. Great player, great player. 60 minutes, 60 minutes. Okay, this is going to ruin the show. <laughs> anyway, the Oilers are at like 84% <laughs> penalty kill success <laughs> and power play success. So it oh really speaks to the quality of the team right there. Anyway. It is. It's it's really bad. And it's it's wow. terrible to see like, oh, God. <laughs> This whole, the whole, like, it was like the, everything worse about the season and the NHL incumbent into, like, the three minutes. So, <laughs> Drake Ajula, uh tries to poke check a puck into the net with Bernier's glove just, like, trailing through. Um, and so, <laughs> they, they said they were, like, the downers were, like, oh, no, this is definitely not a goal. There's no way this is a goal. You can't just, like, push... Uh, the puck in while the goalie has the in its glove um and so they call it a goal (laughs) (laughs) and then they had a coach's challenge for goal interference and then they called it back the goal back and i'm like oh this is the worst and then between that time um uh rantanen got a penalty uh so the Oilers went on the power play and so we didn't get a goal we went on the power play which is not the best and then we <laughs> we got a short end of goal. Not the best. That is the most like 104 podcast language I've ever heard. <laughs> it's challenging. Is what it is. It's, it's challenged at this time. It's challenging. <laughs> so, and then we lose a short end of goal. I'm like, oh my god, this stretch of like three minutes was like the most the peak Oilers just epitomizes <laughs> the year. Yeah, and I feel like the more we get into the season, we the more times we say like, yeah, this epitomizes what the Oilers year has been all about. Whether it be terrible calls on by referees or missed calls, um, or just dumb Oilers defense or yep. poor manage, game management. Yep. Shooting yeah. the puck in your own net, like you know, it yeah. just kind of like epitomizes where we're at as a team. Karmic David Horex, very pretty much. Like that's that that has been the season so far. Um, and it's funny because without that goal, like again, and it was a last second goal, last like end of the period. Oh, and goal. that's the other thing too. Yeah. Like so, and I think without that goal, I think the Oilers were in a good spot. Um, you know, Connor McDavid uh, scoring that amazing goal that he did that first goal was just like. It's incredible. Like, I see highlight packages when people are like, oh, look at all the, all the amazing goals that the NHL has scored, like these players have scored. Any NHL package that doesn't include at least five Connor McDavid goals. <laughs> I know, this is, is my out. feeling too. Like, they're just like, wait, oh, we can only use one Connor McDavid goal. It's like, fuck off. He's the best player in the league. He's, He's got, got at so least many. Five or six amazing goals this season. And I'm like, oh, why don't it's you that show Eastern it? media bias I'm sure we're going to get into at one point, yeah, at some sure point will. here. My face will melt when it happens. Because seriously, that last goal he scored was just, mm, oh, like amazing. So here's my thought. 
Do you remember when the, in 06, you, you, you probably were not going to remember every game, but there was a game, it was probably two-thirds into the season, it was probably like a February game, um, the Oilers were down 3-2 or something like that, and there was a last-second face-off in the offensive zone, and Horkoff won it back to Chris Pronger, and he shot it and scored, and it was like, there was th- three seconds left on the clock, and it was like... And it, it turned out that one point got the Oilers into the playoffs in an eight, 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 eight mm. point. Yeah, it was and against Anaheim, I mean, right? You could point like to a, yeah, yeah, you yeah. could point to a number of different, like, but it, I remember there being, like, Chris Pronger was the different, Chris Pronger is why we're in the playoffs, and that is, like, the epitome of what. I know you're done on this topic, but if the Oilers make the playoffs, it'll be probably by one point, and I want us all to remember that Connor McDavid shot from the half boards Tight, it was much tougher than it looked like. It was a b- b- bouncing puck off the boards, tight angle. He slammed it into the net. It's a goal scorer's goal. Remember that goal because if the Oilers do make, by some chance, make the playoffs, it'll probably be by a small margin, like one point. And that was the one point he scored the goal to get us there. Hundred percent. I, I totally agree with you. I think that that goal was um, really hard to do. And also, again, coming up like heroics again, like he is. He is a clutch player. <laughs> Did you see his reaction to? He just like like it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like put up his hands like whatever. Sixteenth goal of the season, whatever. Whatever, no big deal. Seventeenth, um, I guess. And so he definitely, I agree with you. Like when big players come up, the big players will come up. Yeah. Um, Chris Pronger was definitely a player for the others like that, and I remember him being a game changer. He was a game changer in the regular season and he was a game changer in the playoffs. If the Oilers won that game 7, he would have won the Conn Smythe. And I think you look back on the uh, on the season and you know, there's a number of different things you could point to is like, oh, there was this happened so they got that one point there. That is a defining moment. And I think it's been Connor McDavid has made a point of saying we have no chance of making the playoffs, but I'm des- I I'm going to do everything I can to get us there. And that was just another example of that. Putting the team on his back. I talk about this now three weeks in a row. He is. He is his poor back. So, <laughs> so the next coming up, week. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so coming up, we have Edmonton-Tampa. Going to be a tough game uh, in Edmonton. Uh, that none of these games look good. None of them look good. But these are important games if the Oilers do want to even have an opportunity or a chance to get in the playoffs. Because I think we talked about it. Maybe we talked about it off offline here but um if the oilers do have a chance to make the playoffs it's not going to be through the wild card it's got to be through the pacific because they are not good against central um division opponents um they've been not good with the east but they have been good with the pacific yes. so if if they can get through anything it will be through the pacific um so but tampa bay tampa bay eastern conference best team in the league arguably mm-hmm. sound like a favorites right now probably yep uh interesting game an interesting test for the oilers then L.A., Anaheim, San Jose. Going to California. Yeah. Going to California. This is a tough, tough stretch here. Is this the dad's trip? No, they usually do it in Arizona. Oh, okay. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, this is, you know, and it's a bunch. It's three tough games and four nights or whatever it's going to end up being. And there's four games this week, so it must have to, It must be. There must be a back-to-back in there at some point. Probably. Um, yeah, I mean, the only, the only hope that I have is the Oilers have been really good against the Pacific, uh, which probably speaks to the quality of the Pacific more than anything else. But, 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 Anaheim, the Oilers are going to get up and play for that game. For sure, as uh, they usually do. The last time they played LA, as uh, Herman knows well. Yeah, uh, you, was at, you were at that game. So 
there's lots of motivation there. And then San Jose, you know, I feel like San Jose will probably want to get up and for that game as well. Logan Couture always plays well against the Oilers. So, if you were to make a bold prediction, what do you think the record is after this week? These four games? Yeah. I'm going to say 2-2. Two and two. I'm going to say they... I don't know if they'll beat Tampa. I think they'll win two in California and they'll lose one. I think two and two is the next four. So, eternal optimist, I'm going to go 3-0-1. Oh, 3-0-1. Oh, I think they're going to lose to Tampa Bay in, uh, in the skills competition and then they're going to sweep California. Wow. That would be really good at this. That's week. what they need. That's that's they need, they need, need to do it. And I think I even said this before, they need, you know, we, they went four and four, four for five um, in the last stretch before they lost to Colorado. They need to go four for five for the rest of the season to even get 100 points. For, for every four wins, they need a loss. They need a loss, yeah. So they need to do that. So they lost to Colorado. They need to sweep <laughs> the next four games. Yes, basically. <laughs> Tough call, but you know what? It could happen. It could happen. We'll see. We'll see in the next episode. We'll coming up. Anyways, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with the uh, best and challenging. For the one game that we saw, sort of saw, uh, who was your best player, Elliot? Uh, so I think it's a toss-up and uh, between Lucic and Clefbaum. I'm going to give it to Clefbaum because I know he listens to the show. And uh, Shout out to me. Just shout, shout out to you, Oscar. <laughs> shout out to Oscar. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, first time probably all season we have saw Oscar Clefbaum play to that uh, the capacity that he did in the playoffs last year. Um, I think it's been good for him. The media spotlight's been kind of off him for a little bit. He's sort of played well, but not amazing, working up his confidence, and uh, was an outstanding defender in that game against Colorado. So shout out to our boy Oscar. I love Oscar Clefbaum. I'm so happy that he's getting back his groove. Um, I saw the shots that he was making right off the point. Um, Maybe the shoulder's healed? Maybe, hopefully, only took you three quarters of the season. But that's okay. That's okay, Oscar. <laughs> it happens. Um, but you know what? I like you putting Lucic. I think Lucic had a good game, too. Yeah, I mean, he was the other guy that's had a tough year. And so to see two big hits in the third kind of turn, the, there's definitely a momentum change there. He was out in front of the net when Connor McDavid put home the game-time goal, uh, the point that will make the difference for the Oilers to make the playoffs. <laughs> Who was your best player? Um, hold on. Before we get to that, I think the interesting thing is that when Lucic was um, hitting people, it was good to see nobody in like Colorado being like pushing him around and trying to fight him. It's like such a typical hockey thing, but no one did that, which it was nice. Or really, no clear. revenge fights. No revenge fights. Nope, nope. Uh, so that was cool. Anyway, that was a, that was an interesting aside. Um, for me, it's just uh, not really, uh, really tough for the uh, Colorado. We got to work harder, and be tougher, and throw a revenge fight in there. Yeah. So, <laughs> Colorado fans, uh, Zach Cassian is available probably. I think Drysaddle had a really good game. Uh, I think he he was all over the ice, and he set up that great goal. Um, I think it was the Kajula goal, if I'm not mistaken. Or I could yeah. be wrong. Anyway, and he was on the he was up for was the, uh, the Connor goal, right? Connor goal too. Yeah, he was, I think he was the second assist on that. Yes. Oh, and he assisted on the first Connor goal too. He had two assists in that game. Um, he was playing very well, and he 
It's interesting because he plays as the best with, with Connor, um, which is not what you want to see as your second Here's my C. question. Do you want them together or do you want them apart? That's the thing. I'm like, so I go back and forth on it's this. It's a great debate in Edmonton. It is. Because I, you, you pay him eight mil. I think you're paying him eight mil to be the 2C. But so to drive his own line. Yes. But the thing is that he does play his best with Connor. So if you want your team to succeed, what do you want? You know what I mean? And I, so I go back on this too. Like, yeah, we should be, he should be driving his own line, but he's still young. And also, like, if we're paying him 8 mil, why can't he be the Curry to Connor? You know what I mean? Like the Yari Curry to Connor Skretsky. Why does he have to be the 2C? Do you know what I mean? So you're going back and forth on this. I go back and forth on this. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I think they should be separated. I think it's really important for them to be separated when Nuge is hurt, as he is right now, or when Nuge is not in the lineup. I'm more inclined to suggest that they could play together when Nuge is in the lineup, especially given the year that uh, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins is having. He kind of has been operating as a 2C or second center, second line center all year. So, um, But I think the, other th- the nice thing is Oilers are down 3-1. 3-2, big game, you always have the option to play them together and know that they're going to find success and that they're going to have success. It's a bit like Taves and Kane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Chicago needs that goal, they could put uh, Taves and Kane together. Uh, otherwise, they start most games apart. Um, and I think that that's just as effective as well. You always have the option. I think they should start every game apart, though. And I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think I agree with you there. And I think the there's that that traditional mindset of like going to like the, the Pittsburgh model for instance like the Gino and Crosby model I don't know like do they need to do that right like Pittsburgh has gotten lucky in some sense too so I I'm always curious when when teams like try to copy each other because it never really works but those out are the two same. different models right like there's like the Taves and Kane where they like start apart and then well, we'll Kane's put together a yeah Kane's also a winner yeah and then there's like Malkin and Crosby well they're they're the two best centers in the league right mm-hmm. like it's kind of well maybe you put McDavid in there and Drysdale might be four but you know like there there's a bit of a difference from it but I think that you know when Pittsburgh needs a goal they'll stack those two together too they certainly play together on the power play as well yeah they do um so that's just like I'm like I go back and forth on this I don't know what the answer is um, I do think that they need to find. I do know that Connor and Dry play really well together, um, and they do have a really great sort of chemistry, and they're buddies. Uh, so it's like, and they're both like around the same age. So it's it's. I really would like that core to stay together. The the RNH Dry McDavid core, um, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I really hope it stays. Peter Shirelli's pretty good at uh, trading high end talent. So who <laughs> knows? Nickels what's on happen. the dollar. Um, Challenging player. Whoa, 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 whoa. Deep cut. <laughs> player with the most challenges. Yeah, player with the most challenges. What are your, what are your thoughts? Uh, I thought the puck died on uh, Camilleri's sick every... I mean, uh, you know, he's a fourth-line player. He can shoot. Uh, you know, he passed up an, uh, a ter- an awesome shooting opportunity um, just to throw it in front of the net like he was thinking he was Connor McDavid. Anyway, I, there's not a lot to expect out of him. This is one of those tough things that happens when the Oilers only play one game in a week and why I'm so glad that we're done with this because uh, you kind of look at one performance and try to uh, try to make uh, uh, <laughs> we're just looking at line combinations and Camilleri with McDavid and Dreisaitl. <laughs> Um So, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. It's like it's one game. He had kind of a tough game, so he gets racked. I, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. He was definitely, like, the player that I saw that had the most challenges. What about you? Who was your guy? I think my guy was Ryan Strom. 
Um, it's challenging as he wasn't bad, but again, it was the same thing. It was a, that I mentioned last time that he um, cannot find the back of the net, which is so like he's shooting. He's shooting much more. Yeah. Like you can tell he's shooting, and you can tell he's like he's really working hard to try to get those goals in. But there's nothing's going in for him, and I feel bad because he's gotten a lot of a lot of uh, critics. Um, and it's funny because he's playing to the ability that he has shown in with the Islanders. Like he's not doing anything worse than we did at the Islanders. I think it's just the Oilers expected him more for him. Um, so I'm curious. <clears throat> I wonder if they want to pair up Strom with McDavid and see what happens there. Um, but I, I don't. I think it's too late for him to be honest. <laughs> I think they 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 might have tried that experiment and didn't really work very well. I just. I find Strom... Well, he wasn't doing any better than Yamamoto to start the year, right? And I think that the, um, Tom McCullen really loves a team, and the team does really well when it's like a merit-based system. So when you have a good game or you're playing well, you get elevated. Um, and they do have like a, a, a good a, a piece of candy. Like You get to play with Connor McDavid. If you just put your stick on the ice, you're probably going to get a pretty good shot at the net most nine times out of right. ten, at least you know if you're playing with him. So... Uh, has Strom played well enough to elevate to McDavid? No. That's the question. I mean, I you know I kind of said this last week too because I I get where your criticism's coming from, but I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it because like I'd much rather have an opportunity see Strom get opportunities than none at all. And even if he's not like I get he's not scoring, he's not not finishing, and and I get that there's a point where you just have to say like, come on, we need a goal here, yeah. buck up. At the same time, it'd be much worse off if he just wasn't having those opportunities. I agree. I, and that's the thing where I put him as, like, maybe it's my definition of challenging. As that he is, he is somebody that is in a challenging position where he is working his butt off to try to get those things. But there's, I don't, maybe it's just his skill level. Maybe it's just the way that he plays that he's not putting the, the puck in the back of the net. But he's getting in position. the stick a little bit too tight. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that common, that common slogan. He's uh, just uh, gripping <clears throat> the stick a little um, too tight. He's frozen. He's frozen. <laughs> uh, Mike Babcock is this going to be my, like, the third person on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're throwing that in, in impersonation. <laughs> It's really good, Elliot. You can put it, keep keep oh, trying. It's not the impersonation. When you live it, uh, it just <laughs> comes through. Um, like Daniel Day-Lewis here. It's like, uh, <laughs> listen, Herman, uh, Herman, not German. Love you. <laughs> oh, boy. So, anyways, did you... God, moving on. Uh, I was reading this great article about Ryan Strom and his... Um, what McClellan and Chirelli... What, the reason why they wanted to bring in Strom... Um, was they wanted him to shoot more. They wanted him to do... Um, because they, they noticed that in the Islanders, he didn't shoot. He didn't get to shoot a whole lot. And now with the Oilers, it feels like, especially at the end of the season, especially now, that he is shooting more. Um, but the pucks are still not going in. So I, I'm, I'm now worried about, like, is the skill level even there with Ryan Strom? I mean, I, I'm not sure that... I'm not worried about that yet right now. There's lots of pressure on the player. Um yeah. And I think that will come. I think when you haven't been had the opportunity to shoot a lot, um, it takes a while to figure out where you're shooting and how you do that. And also, let's not forget that like Connor McDavid surprises everyone, even the person that he's surpri- that he's passing to. And so that's yeah. something that he's going to have to come to terms with as well. I think 
We've got. I, I I think we're gonna need another year of Strom before you keep Strom for another year. I well, I would. Yeah, you. I think you have to. One. He's an RFA. Is he an RFA this year? So I would. I you know I get on the bridge contract, whatever. You know I think it's one year is not enough time, particularly under the conditions. Tough year for the team. Maybe to make a determination. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a uh, decision time for Ryan Strom and the Oilers. We'll see what happens. You know what my decision is, <laughs> Go for and it. Ryan Rashog's contract. <laughs> just, just you know what, Ryan Rashog, delete your Twitter account. Delete oh, your account. Oh God! Right? Hand in your hand in your media pass. So man. I was moly. fired up and <laughs> sent you this like <laughs> um, I, I expletive ridden. <laughs> Facebook message that was like, this is the kind of stuff that just makes my head explode and why we need this podcast. Yeah, Because we need to be able to call out this kind of crap. Ryan Rashaw goes on this tirade because Al Montoya refuses to do media in the morning of the game in which he plays. Which basically turns into Ryan Rashaw trying to call out Al Montoya is not a team guy, a guy who doesn't recognize the value of the media. Fragile. I call them fragile. A guy is fragile, and either way, neither of which bode well for someone who's playing in the NHL. Like, this just, like, made-up controversy. And I just... You know, I get the teams having a ba- that your covering is having a bad year. It's not like last year where you got to do a bunch of fun things and people got were calling you all the time to talk about the Oilers for shock. But my God, what a stupid thing to create, to generate a controversy over. And then David Staples gets involved. Obviously. And, like, I don't think Staples had, like, a, 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 as hot of a take on, no. on the situation. He was actually pretty measured from uh, a David Staples' perspective. But, again, elevating a conversation around, like, integrity. The one, the day the guy is playing. And, and, and two, around a nothing story. You're, you don't get to talk to the goalie. So What? He's the backup. Like, there are infinite amount of characters and personalities and people that actually want, you want to have, people want to hear from. Namely, the best player in the league. So, like, calm down. It's it's this made-up nothing-burger story that Rashad was trying to to float. Anyway, he got, like, he got got roasted. roasted, He got roasted Like, through and through. And he deserved every bit of it. And he's the kind of guy that's going to sit up and say, oh, well, uh, yeah, well, um... You know, I, I think I was still glad. If I were to do it again, I'd do it all over again. But, like, whatever. whatever. You're, that was, like, the dumbest thing to make a big story about. I get it. It's been three games in three years, This it feels like. There's been nothing going on for the Oilers for a while. Um, so you have to generate a story. But a controversy around someone not talking to you, it's one petty, Looks, it, it, it makes your... Profe- it, buffo- it makes your profession look like you're a bunch of buffoons and you ab- just demonstrating buffoonery around this. I just, I was like, come on. You can't like just talk about something better than that. It was so dumb. It End was, of rant. It was, okay, little, poor little Alvaro Montoya, Cuban, Cuban native. So I got to stick up for my Latin brother here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Al Montoya um, is part of his game day routine to not talk to the media on the days that he's starting. He was starting that day against Colorado. Um, and this is such a typical thing that people do uh, when it comes, especially media types. They tend to rant on Twitter for things that none of the public does not give a flying hell about. Um, airlines, for instance, I hear that a lot. 
uh, <laughs> press room, the, the snacks. Cheering in the press box. Cheering in the press box, snacks in the press rooms. Like, I, nonsense that no one cares about. Oh, darn, you get to see every game. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> For free. It's your job to cover <laughs> sports. <laughs> Someone doesn't want to talk to you and the popcorn was bad. Uh, Boo. Boo. And that's the thing. Like, and I think I, they're saying that it, it's part of the CBA that they have to talk to the media. There's a responsibility, quote unquote responsibility to do so. At the same time, like these are human beings. Like they're trying to prepare for This is the professional, uh, you know, obligation or something. No, not obligation, but this is their livelihood. Like Al Montoya needs to have a good game. Uh, so that's as part of his preparation. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, I just I don't understand like the lack of like human to human behavior. If Ryan Rashad had a problem with this, and he's like, you know what, like this is part of your CBA. Like, I wish I could get something from you because you are the starter today. Don't do that on freaking Twitter, and also don't call a guy fragile online. Like that is nonsense, nonsense. And so what, like. If you have a problem with him, go talk to him personally. Make it, don't make it into this huge issue. Because guess what happened? Well, it was like external to what was going on. Exactly. It was external to what was going on. And, there, and, the, and the public is like, no one cares about your stupid pregame quotes. Like, there's you no know Shaw you're sitting there saying, like, why do I have to get up every morning and talk to, to the morning show on TSN 1260 and this guy won't do one episode for me? I was like, you, like I'm like, you're going to compare like that situation. It's not like he's a starter. It's not like he plays every game and he doesn't do this. He's a backup goalie. That's his profession. He's literally, he's ne- he will, Al Montoya will never be a starter for an extended period of time. He will cover for an injury or come in on a back-to-back or win a goalie, uh, you know, when they need some time off. If his goal is to not talk to the media, then he's not going to talk to the media. And there's no expectation that he should. Like, calm down. You're going to bring in the CBA? Like, are you going to get a lawyer to come in and be like, Al Montoya, you actually have to talk to me? Oh, and it's such a privileged stance, and I hate it. Such a privileged... W- such privileged nonsense um and like and this is a trend from edmonton media that happens where they 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 tend to uh like sink a player because their there's their relationship with the with the media you know we were talking about softline about terry jones um and we've talked a lot about like people like david staples um who has tried to sink a lot of people before um and this is some. This is again. It's like it's a trend that that comes up, and I think like again. I think it's just lacking a lot of um, that human to human touch. And now the, with the with the with the invent of social media, people can just go off on social media. Um, and good for Al Montoya to be like at the end. Like at the end, did you see that at the end where they did the the post game uh, game? So Rashad was in the post game uh, trying to get a, a quote from Al Montoya. And like Rashad asked him a question, and Al Montoya was like looked at him and he's like, "Someone else, someone else asked me a question." <laughs> <laughs> and so someone else asked him. So you didn't answer any of the questions that Ryan Rashad uh, brought up. And so like he called like Rashad called Al Montoya out on Twitter, and Al Montoya did the same thing to Rashad. So it's and like, you know what? And he was there to do the media after. I don't know. It's just a good on Al Montoya. I didn't know that that was a piece of this as well. And I think that's that's important. And it's just the kind of thing. Tough night, tough year for a team. Not played a lot in the last three weeks. Lots of frustration in and around the the team and the professions that are part of the team, whether media or otherwise. Speaking of the media, um, I've heard this podcast a couple times. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it still, but um, this is Ryan Whitney, right? Yeah. Ryan Whitney 
And I think the Barstool Sports people, they do Spitting Chicklets. This is another podcast, a hockey yeah. podcast. And you said Jordan Everly was on it. I haven't heard it, but let me, tell me what it's about. So I just listened to the Everly part and mostly just the first half of it when he talked about Edmonton. Um, it was a bit interesting. I, it, obviously, it was funny because Whitney and Everly used to be like roommates back when they played for the Oilers, too. So it was like Everly was kind of giving the gears around. Like, it's funny when, you know, I, I hear you on, on, on TV and everyone's taking you seriously. And- <laughs> I can't take you seriously. I, at all. I still can't take you seriously. seriously. Yeah, and I, I mean, they they had a good rapport back and forth. There was a pretty direct question around leaving the Oilers, um, and Jordan Eberle was like really quite complimentary of the organization and, and what had happened. He said it was pretty clear he needed a new start. He said it was a shock. It's always a shock to be traded, but in hindsight, wasn't surprised that he did. Um, and then. Uh, you know, was stayed away from the organization itself, but but spoke pretty openly about his performance in the playoffs, and and was pretty critical of his performance in the playoffs. And uh, anyway, stand up guy, stand up interview. They didn't press him on it as well, and it was kind of interesting to hear about his time and now uh, with the Islanders. But uh, uh, yeah, it was did did speak pretty openly about what what happened here in a way that I think was pretty complimentary, all things considered. Um, and on a, me- on a former media and speaking to a friend where he didn't necessarily maybe even need to be, um, but had enough uh, tact and, and wherewithal to do that. So anyway, I'd recommend listening to that interview. Again, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure I'd recommend listening to the podcast. <laughs> I think they, I think that podcast lost me one time when they're like, we're not all we're not about uh, these fancy stats. We're not about analytics, and that's when I'm like, and click, and, and we're done. done, and we're done. <laughs> and you know they are kind of like that sort of like, oh well, you know it's about the heart of the team. But there was also like some really funny episodes when they talk to like funny when they talk to like people that are personalities, particularly after their careers too. I think I, I've always enjoyed those ones. I, I definitely look for the person. Yes. I wouldn't listen to the show regularly without. It always. It's interesting to me when a player is shocked when they get traded. I know that some trades you're like, that one is shocking. Like, for instance, like the PK Subban trade I thought was shocking, and I'm sure it was shocking for PK. Um, but, like, Everly was connected to trade rumors for months. Well, he said he wasn't surprised. He okay. said he was shocked. Like, it's shocking just to be traded and, like, be part okay. of that process. But okay. he wasn't surprised. He was pretty open about that. Okay. But I, I get where you're coming from. Like, I'm always a little bit like when people are like, oh, I was really surprised that this was happening. Like particular, maybe Hall would have been a bit surprising because you would have thought Eberle or Nuge would have gone before him. But yeah, I get where you're coming from on that. But he did say he was like, in hindsight, like it wasn't a surprise, but it was a shock just because it's like a weird thing. That's fair. to be traded. That's a fair statement. Okay, okay, that that makes sense to me. Um, speaking of shocking, well, not shocking. This is a really more sad. Um, Adam Larson. So we we speculated last episode that Adam Larson was hurt because uh, he wasn't in the lineup. And then we were, when the Colorado news came out, he said he was missing for uh, parentheses personal reasons. And now we understand what the personal reasons was. Um, so Adam Larson's father passed away. Quite suddenly. I quite suddenly. At young age, I think he was like 50 years old yeah. or something like that. So Really sad. It is sad. And it's really sad losing your family member, especially your father. That's, um, that's a tough, tough uh, thing to go through and like... Um, I feel for you, Adam Larson, and I and I hope that uh, I think everybody understands how that feels, and I think everybody's taken like has said some really good well wishes to him, and uh, it's nice that the Oilers can allow him to like um, grief for as long as he can. So I hope he's feeling good about Take that. Take all the time that you need. Yeah, there's yeah. no sense rushing back. It's that's a tough loss. 
Um, speaking of people being absent, Cam Talbot. You know what's going question on? Question mark, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Missing from the Colorado game. Um, and it's funny because this is like two days before. Uh, he's just like you. He's, he's like your, uh, I think he's like your spirit animal because he was all Mr. Like, <laughs> I want to go to the play. We're going to the playoffs. <laughs> Immediately falls injured. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit worrisome. Not a lot of information coming out of the team right now around injuries, and I wonder if there's, you know, my fear is always right now too, especially someone who is so still believes to my detriment that the Oilers will make the playoffs. I think I think there's some real honest conversations going on in the organization around like if Talbot is hurt, do we push him now? Does he? Is it worth playing him and uh, making something more serious? Um, there must be something a little bit. There must be a lingering injury there that they're trying to make a determination about. It would also explain why they brought Al Montoya in, and also why Cam Talbot hasn't looked. He's not been terrible, but not uh, to where he was last year. Uh, so maybe there's been something nagging going on for a while there. Bring Al Montoya in, and maybe Cam Talbot. At some point here, we're talking about is taking an extended period of time off. Or the end of the year. I mean, that's just that's just me speculating. I have no insight. I'm not going to pretend like I know anything. I'm not Bob Stoffer over here. Um, <laughs> it's <yeah>. just uh, <laughs> I've done I've done a Rashog impersonation and, You're do and the Bob Stoffer. I'm not going to do Bob Stoffer. Um, but uh, you know, I wonder if there's a there's a really frank conversation going on about the value of playing Cam Talbot through maybe what was that's a lingering issue, something more substantial than we all think. And I think the the Oilers are a little bit worried about, um, because they brought in Al Montoya with a conditional pick. And the conditional was if Al Montoya plays more than six games, I think it's more than five actually, um, the pick would be increased from a fourth to a third, no, or a fifth to a fourth. Anyways, it was there's the condition about it, about how many games Al Montoya plays. So I think that takes into consideration. Excuse me. And I think the Oilers are, don't want to be in a position that they'd be losing draft picks. Um, they I bet w- a fourth or a fifth, like, how often does that really turn out? Do you think you really care? I would rather just see Montoya play when he needs to play. And then Talbot just, just sit yeah. out for as much as he can. Whatever. Um, that, I didn't that's know that true. was the condition. But, I mean, like, you know, if it was, like, a second to a first, we may be having a different conversation around that, You, this, you may like, be right about that. A fifth and a fourth, I'm not that worked up about. Yeah, and I think the Oilers really, and I think this is a good question, I think, that you brought up. When is their um, when is their expiry date? Basically, not when are they eliminated from the playoffs. Like, when is the when is the the day that the management or the GM or the owners say we're not making the playoffs? We just got to start making some moves. Well, and it has to come. It, it's probably a week. Excuse me. It's probably a week before the trade, deadline. trade deadline. Yeah. Right. So I mean, like, we have to make decisions about Mark Testu, Pat Maroon. Um, even people like like you, like you said, like Cam Talbot. Do we play Cam Talbot as, as much as we can? Um, How is Clef Bump's shoulder? Yeah. Do we want news for the, to, to be reactivated? Lots of conversations around yeah, that, too. Yeah, exactly. So there is, there's all these questions around uh, what do we do with the team and how much should we start uh, thinking about uh, the draft instead of um, the playoffs and the summer coming up. So. Interesting stuff. We're probably going to talk about it a little bit more during the year. Um, We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with our big topic. (laughs) 
So we're back for our big topic this week. This is your topic, so I'll let you introduce it. But let's talk about mental health and hockey. Sure. And it's I wanted to talk about it just because it's coming off the heels of uh, Bellet's Talk Day. Um, a pretty big day in Canada, especially online. Um, as you, as Bell wants to tweet out as many things as possible, uh, so they can raise money for mental health initiatives. Cool thing. A lot of hockey players get involved in this. A lot of hockey people get involved in this. Hilarious, given that Rogers owns the rights to everything hockey in Canada right now. Exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny thing. Um, I have my reservations about having a corporation uh, be attached to Actually, something. you did a pod. Didn't you do a show or have a little conversation around this? Um, I didn't With do a modern mounted or I didn't do a show specifically on Bell Let's Talk Day, but you know my other show is um, called Modern Manhood and it is about we talk a lot about mental health, especially around mental health with guys. Um, so it is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, but I do find it interesting that hockey is becoming involved a lot with mental health lately. Um, especially through what they're doing uh, something called Hockey Talks. Now, Hockey Talks is, we know, is basically a mental health initiative that the NHL is doing and a lot of players, a lot of teams are doing. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, for instance, are going to host a Hockey Talks night on March 10th. Uh, that was last year, actually. Well, that was the last thing I heard. I don't know about this, this year, what's going on this year. Uh, but they hosted one against Pittsburgh and the Edmonton Oilers, um, uh, and they kind of like quoted out a bunch of mental health statistics and they're encouraging a quote unquote a conversation um, yeah. around mental health. Now, <laughs> in my experience, this feels like a lot of uh, lip service <laughs> that the that the NHL does. I think if you really want to have a conversation around mental health, it really needs to start from the players being a little bit more vulnerable um, and a little bit more. Uh, open to having conversations around what it is to be an athlete. Because I think a lot of mental health problems or mental health issues come up with being an athlete and the pressure that they have um, as to perform. Like imagine being in a job where uh, millions of people watch you perform something and when you fail that performance, they come at you. Like I can't even imagine that as a person. Like, it's hard for me doing it as a job in general. Yeah. That's my job. <laughs> and someone ringing down on you. So I'm very curious as to what the NHL actually does against mental health. And also, like, things around, like, <laughs> so a little bit of hypocrisy, for instance. Like, we just talked about Ryan Rashad. Um, and Ryan Rashad called Al Montoya's preparation, quote-unquote, fragile. Um, because he didn't want to talk to the media during that day. And he's the one. That's a great example of the hypocrisy around this debate in hockey. Yeah, and and, and it's somebody who the day before um, texted out, "Let's let's start a conversation." Hashtag Bell. Let's talk. Yeah. I don't know if they I wonder get if anyone it. said that to him. Maybe the one hundred four podcast should say that to him. <laughs> I think that people have said that to him, but also at the same time, it's like there's a lot of things that that people say. Like you know, like Mark Spector, for instance, this year called out. Uh, Jordan Everly mentally weak because he noticed that the Edmonton media was a little rough um, on the players. Yeah, and when he did an interview, so with New York Real Islanders, positivity there, exactly. And um, and again, it's coming from the media, and I think, but also like I think a lot of fans uh, take up on this too. They have this very like suck it up attitude, 
um, in regards to their players because they make a lot of money. I think it's important. I think that's an important note. Um, and I think the hypocrisy in the conversation is really, I think, what you want to get to and what I want to get to as well. I mean, there's hypocrisy in Hockey Talks Day. There's, there's, I find hypocrisy, tons of hypocrisy in uh, Bell Let's Talk, particularly around their stories around people being fired and out of Bell companies for totally. having issues around mental health. Totally. <laughs> uh, there's a commodification of mental illness or mental health uh, awareness that's got, that's taken place. I think that um, if Bell Let's Talk hadn't had the success that it had. Um, that I would doubt that there was a hockey talks day, um, and the fact that there's one day where we talk about mental health is is pretty appalling, given uh, the proclivity for people to and face mental health issues. I mean, I'm sure you you know the stats better than I, but uh, there's there are a number of issues uh, as a society around uh, mental health, yeah. uh, and our lack of a society to do it in hockey. I think that there's so often. Uh, this mentality around um, this personification of the tough guy, and that is, you know manifests itself in hard-nosed, big hitter, uh, playing hard, you know, playing to every whistle kind of thing. Um, but it extends by virtue of that it extends to having some sort of toughness around uh, mental health that I think is not warranted and, and unfair. And basically the only time that we give for players to uh, experience emotion is Adam Larson and his father dying. Like basically like a bereavement. That's the only time when there's any sort of acceptance of, um, you know, challenges around mental health or, and issues around that. I'm not sure what's going on inside organizations. I'm sure that's, there's more opportunities to do that. But I, I certainly think that this is something that the media plays a lot of lip service to because it's fashionable. But when you look at their actions, whether it be Rashog or Spectre or Terry Jones or David Staples, uh, you know, character, mental fitness, fragility are all things that those people have spoken to just in the last three months about uh, and with with really little or no confidence. Uh, um, uh, consequence. Yes, little no consequence and little no like the only consequence they get is the consequence of like public uh, uproar. But I mean, like they still have jobs at the journal. They still have. They're not getting suspended from the Edmonton Sun or whoever it is. And outside of that public criticism, which is minute to say the least, maybe it would be more meaningful coming from someone like you. But like really, like that doesn't really it doesn't factor into anything. No, it doesn't. In unfortunate, like. I feel bad for these players sometimes because, you know, being a, a high-end hockey player, like imagine like someone like Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is 21 years old. He has, it's hockey has been all his life. Like his identity, his, most of his identity is hockey. Um, and he's had that since he was nine, eight, seven. Yeah. Um, imagine taking that away. Imagine if he got injured. Imagine if he got um, like knock on wood that he would have a, a career ending injury a la Eric Lindros type thing where he doesn't get to play anymore now his identity is gone is shot um, what does that do for him what does that do for him as a player um, as a person in general um, there was a great story on the Players Tribune about uh, Corey Hirsch Corey Hirsch ex uh, Vancouver Canucks goaltender um, and he had a story 
when he was 21 years old that he wanted to drive that his car off a cliff um, because of the pressure that was going on with his life and with what was going on with his team. Um, it took somebody like Trevor Linden, for instance, to kind of snap him back out of it um, and just and to, to be able to talk about those things and be able to do that in a very healthy and, and uh, important manner. And that saved his life. You know, Jonathan Taze also has a great story about uh, Brent Seabrook when he was a young captain. Uh, Jonathan Taze, as you know, is one of the youngest captains of all time. Um, he was having through, going through some tough times. He wasn't going in the stage that he wanted to commit suicide, but Brent Seabrook was somebody that took him aside and said, "You know what? Let's we we got to deal with the stress and anxiety that you're going through." Um, I can't imagine how much stress and anxiety these players are going through, and not only that, um, they're millionaires. And that's what people, like, we value so much of the money that they make that, well, I wish, you know, money's going to solve everything. Like, unfortunately, money's not going to solve everything. There's not going to solve their their stress and anxiety. Like, that's still that's something that they have to work on, well, right? Well, what's disappointing about this conversation is that we don't hear these stories or these 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 stories don't get told until after players' careers are finished. And you talk, you talk to any player who can be forthright and honest after their career. Uh, the Chicklets podcaster and Whitney is a good example of this. Uh, you know, a number of different avenues in which you can speak to former players. Uh, some of those being media guys, for one. Um, that's that's when there's more of a proclivity to talk about these issues, to 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 speak about experiences. Think about, you know, guys talking about not being able to have their nap because they knew they were going to have to fight someone crazy that night, and, and you know, and, and and that sort of has largely contributed to a a, a really sincere and honest conversation around fighting in hockey. Um, but, you know, we didn't hear those stories until after their careers. Now, things have changed in terms of like, from a fighting perspective, um, but there are still numerous pressures that go into the work that these players do, and we still aren't hearing about them. My, my, you know, no one's asking Connor McDavid uh, to, to speak honestly, and Connor McDavid may not feel the capacity to speak honestly about the pressures that he faces, right? Um, you know, the same can be said for any number of players. And the, the only time we ever really hear about something in career is, uh, like I said, a, a death or bereavement, an addictions issue like Zach Cassian. That's the only things that we ever really honestly talk about in career. Every other story comes out after. So that means if you're where, even if you play for 10 years, you have to deal with those situations consistently, basically you know, inside your team, inside your locker room, inside your organization. Yeah, totally. And it's, it sucks because these players are being looked up to by kids, by other people, like my five-year-old nephew who loves Connor McDavid. If Connor McDavid, somebody, and I don't want to give the pressure to Connor McDavid. I'm just making him as a hypothetical example because he is uh, a well, notable player. He epitomizes player. stress and expectation. Exactly. And, uh, and notoriety. Exactly. And he is a very popular player. Um, if he, for instance, were to go on TV and mention that he was scared or anxious about a, a game that he was playing, that he's like, you know what, we're playing against, for instance, like Tampa Bay, we're playing against one of the best teams in the league. I'm a little worried about today. I'm a little worried about the game that we're going to play. I'm a little anxious about the performance that I'm going to be doing. He would be ripped apart by the media, unfortunately. But it is something that I bet you that he's thinking. And I bet you that he's feeling a little bit of anxiousness, a little bit of anxiety of, of trying to drag the team from his back um, to try to make the playoffs, to try to get the 100 points that he got last year. Like, all these pressures that I'm sure he has in his head because he, he's working with somebody with high expectations. If he were to just 
open that up, open that conversation up and not be criticized by that would be amazing. Well, so often that sort of vulnerability is seen as weakness, right? And, you know, in some instances you might say, well, being worried about a team, that there is a little bit of weakness that you show there and maybe that's... You don't want to give a team any kind of inches. And, and uh, I'm just picking on your exact example. But there is, I think, beyond that, uh, a pushback against players who are vulnerable, are feeling vulnerable in situations because whether you know, they're not tough enough, you don't have the mental fitness or the mental capacity to play the game. You don't have, um, you know, th- th- there's so many like, these false yeah. toxic narratives that go into this conversation. Um, and, and, and I mean, I think for me, like, I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but all you have to do is just listen to a former player talk about the challenges and the stresses around it. And beyond the fact that their their experience is so unique that the only other people that would understand it are the people in the dressing room, mm-hmm. their buddies that are dealing with the same thing. Um, you know, there's also this this issue around, like, not being able to speak honestly in general because you're either going to get harped on for how much money you make or uh you know seen as weak Weak. or whatever yeah mentally weak or something like that and i think we do i think as agile and i really hope that i think we're getting better at that at the very least at the very least we're getting better at uh trying to clap back on people who are are um dragging these players for no reason like I'm glad that, the, for instance, the Everlay situation that happened last year about um, him saying, you know, the, the Edmonton meeting was really tough on me and it made me really anxious and pressured. Um, and the inspector said he was mentally weak. A lot of people, like, clapped back on Spectre. Um, this whole Ryan Rashad thing, a lot of people mentioned to him, like, dude, this is a mental health thing. Like, you're not, you're not creating this environment to talk about, um, you know, maybe, maybe Montoya was worried and anxious to, to start. He's starting, right? Like again, it's his performance. It he doesn't really matter. Focus on his game and not what he's going to say to you. Like exactly, relax. it doesn't really matter. It, that's the thing. Like what? What does it matter? Um, and that that automatically gets equated to fragility, like to me, or like mental. It, it, you know, uh, not not enough mental toughness. Exactly. That's what we're gonna we're gonna. I mean, that sounds like a fucking professional to me. Yeah. Actually, exactly. And I think and I think we should be applauding people who sometimes take a step back and say, you know what, I'm going to focus on my own mental health um, before before I can do my job properly. And I think that exactly what you said is a professional. Because um, I think that's what we should be expectations about our professionals is to worry about their mental health and be able to deal with these things in an open and honest and also um, respectful way. And I think we should be uh, clapping those people back about those media types that call out these people for being quote or unquote, Don Cherry weak. or whoever it is that has some sort of informed perspective on hockey that uses terminology that is not sensitive to uh, mental health issues. I think that that's something that we just need to, you know, you and I could maybe even could do a better job of it. I haven't gone back and we don't know that there's been something egregious of late. Uh, and our sort of mantra around this podcast is, is quite the opposite. But, we, you know, you, there has to be, you have to be able to call people in and say, like, look, this is how you can't use that kind of language. This is how you negatively personify mental illness, whether you mean to or not. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to wrap up this conversation, I really want to, for the listeners to um, understand uh, that we're all humans here. And I think the players are humans. The the coaches are humans. The GMs are humans. Um, yeah. I'm sure Pichirelli knows that he is, 
he is not uh, a person that's being looked at favorably, but also he's a human. Same thing with Tom McClellan. He's a human. Um, and I think mental issues are very important. This goes beyond players. It does go beyond players. It goes way beyond players. And, and you know, like, and, and on the website, the Edmonton Oilers put out, on average, one in five Canadians will experience a mental health problem or illness in their lifetime. And that's totally true. Um, I would even say it's one out of four. Um, so be nice to each other. <laughs> really, that's really what I, the main message of this one. And I think in, in hockey specifically. I think specifically, we a poll around this. I, you know what? I was a little bit late to the poll this week. In fact, Herman put it out. So sorry about that. <laughs> uh, around uh, the All-Star game. Um, but yeah, let's do a, let's do a poll on this around mental uh, mental. You know, do you think mental health is honestly discussed in hockey or something? Around That's a good that? question. That's a good question. Let's put that out. Um, and again, you can also follow us up on Twitter. It's one o four pod. So O is in the letter O, not the number O, uh, not the number zero. Um, <laughs> and you can also find us on Facebook one o four podcast. Um, send us a shout. Send go on our Twitter poll. Listen to the episode. Tell us what tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't Rate like. Rate and subscribe. Rate, subscribe, and give us some some five stars on iTunes. <laughs> Anyways, is that it, Elliot? That's the week. That's the week. Have a wonderful week, guys. We'll see you next time. See you on One Hundred Four Podcast.